Hey, pod classmates. Welcome to another mini pod. Boy, what a week it has been. We are approaching a very important time in the school year for both teachers and students. And of course, the world seems to be on fire both literally and figuratively these days. Uh, shout out to all the people in Southern California dealing with these wildfires. It is pretty horrific and uh, sending you all the love and support we can. If, for whatever reason, our president is listening, um, go away, please. Delete your account, rip the cord. Seriously, you've made fun of women, children, disabled people, veterans, people seeking asylum, and honestly, so many more subgroups I can hardly keep track. And yet, I still couldn't imagine you'd add blaming wildfire victims and threatening to not give the state of California emergency funds while people are still dying in these fires to your list of deplorable things you've done as president. So again, if there's any good left in you, please go away. You don't even have to say goodbye. You can totally just ghost us. In fact, we'd all probably prefer it. Okay, now that I've gotten that off my chest, let's get into this week's show. But first, a quick fake commercial break. Today's episode is brought to you by Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Seriously, go away, you feckless potato spore. Welcome to the show. My name is Jason West. You can find me on all major forms of social media with the username at TeachMeMrWest, or you can email me at podclasspod, that's podclasspod at gmail.com. You know you want to email me a question or a thought on education. You've got something to share. Go ahead and share it. All right, let's get into some listener questions. The first question this week is courtesy of at Literature Daydreams. The question is, what is your favorite classroom game? Okay, so I don't know if this exactly counts as a game per se, but I created an activity called the Dinner Party Debate, and I am a huge fan of it. Um, so a little backstory on this. I taught Romeo and Juliet to ninth graders for years, and at the beginning of every unit, I would always have this debate activity where I would give these pretty... Uh, yes or no, open prompt questions, and I would have the kids choose a side and then they would debate. I had a love-hate relationship with this activity because on the one hand, there were kids who would get involved that I would have never guessed would get involved in that way. They came out of their shell, they used debate skills, they just, they became leaders. It was just a really great activity. On the other hand, I hated it because, well, it would just be about a handful of kids that would get involved while everyone else just sort of stood around and watched the debate happen. And I just never got the engagement that I was hoping to get from all students. And so one day I was doing this activity and again, just feeling really frustrated when, you know, just blam, just a lightning bolt hit me and I realized, oh, I know how to do this. And I was like, everyone stop, everyone stop what you're doing and you're going to go back to your desks. So the way the dinner party debate goes is I give every kid a note card and I have them write agree on one side and disagree on the other side. 
And then I would have them all stand up in the front of the room and I would ask this yes or no kind of question. Uh, Love at first sight is real or you should remain loyal to your family no matter what, right? So, okay, so I would ask the questions and then the kids would have to hold up their sign as to whether or not they agreed or disagreed and then they'd have to walk around like a dinner party or I guess it would be more of a cocktail party, but don't tell the kids that. So anyway, so they'd walk around and they'd hold their sign up until they found someone who had a card that was different than theirs. And then they would stop and have a discussion. Well, I agree because of this. I disagree because of that. And I got to tell you, I'm so glad that I stopped in the middle of that activity and had the kids do it this new way because the whole class just came to life in that moment. Everyone got involved. And after about a minute or two, I would say, okay, everyone mingle, stop the conversation, mingle, and they'd have to walk around and find someone new. And there would be these little pockets of kids who would, you know, even if two people, even if two kids were just like really having a back and forth, there'd be a third kid who would jump in and chime in while listening, but still would participate. And it was just everyone got involved. The whole class was engaged. And then I would, you know, have my little attention getting device they'd all stop. I'd ask them the next question and then they'd go on like this. And every question would take about four to five minutes. We would do a series of five questions. So it was about 20 minutes and the kids just got so into it. And were I, I had them all hooked into the unit before we even really started. So um, at the end of the activity, they'd all go back to their seats and they would have the exact same questions already written on a worksheet and then they would answer the question with their opinion. Then they would reflect. What did other people say? What other rhetorical devices did they use? What debate tactics were uh, you know, used in your discussion? Which ones did you use? You know, There was a lot of reflection uh, on that as well. And that all led to, at the end of the unit, they would have to write a persuasive essay. And so you know, starting off the unit, with questions about the text that would hook them in right away, this sort of anticipation activity that also led to the final product of this essay that they'd have to write. I mean, really, I could not have, I couldn't have planned it any better. And I was so happy with how it turned out. And yeah, that is my favorite. I don't know if it's really a game, but it's definitely my favorite activity that kind of feels like a game because there is a sense of, did you win or lose? I'm actually going to post some examples of this on my Instagram stories, and I'll even give it the, uh, quote, education category so that you can find it after the 24-hour expiration date. So if you really want to kind of see it in action, go to my Instagram, at teachmemrwest. Again, under stories, the education category, you will find it there. All right, so the next question is, if you could change one thing about your first three years and do it over, what would it be? This is from at mere teaching. Man, uh, I think the shorter answer is actually what wouldn't I change for my first three years? Um, but honestly, I think the biggest thing I'd change about my first three years is that I'd focus less on the content and more on the relationships with my students. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that in general relationships are more important than content, though you know, I'm sure there's an argument to be made there. Uh, I'm just saying that at the time, at the beginning of my teaching career, I was so worried about not being a good teacher pedagogically that I didn't allow for 
really any relationship building in my class. In fact, I actively avoided sharing anything about myself, really, because I was so concerned that I wouldn't be taken seriously as a teacher. Ironically, it wasn't until my third year that I realized, well, I could share stuff with my students, you know? Nothing bad was going to happen. In fact, my students and I grew together because we had those relationships. Um, so yeah, share with your students. Just, you know, don't be that person who overshares. Those people are weird. Okay, this next question is from Atfatima. Interesting name. She asks, in your opinion, what is the best grade to teach and why? Okay, so I actually get this question a lot, and my canned answer, which seems like, you know, it's a very political answer, is they're all great. And the reality is they are, and that's why I give that response. They all have their positives and their deltas, you know, the, the things that draw you to that grade and the things that draw you to other grades, right? So running it across for elementary students, right? You know, it's really hard to have conversations that involve logic and foresight uh, that you would normally have with uh, someone who is a little bit older uh, or verging on young adult or adult. And so that that gets really challenging because you can't really reach those kids on a certain level. But on the other hand, man, everything you do is like you are a superhero to those kids. You know, you can throw a ball in the air. Oh, my God, it almost hit the sky. Or, you know, you can tell them, you know, the name of a, of a, you know, you can say, oh, this artist, Pierre Mondrian. And they'll go, oh, my gosh, you must know every language. Like, they're just very impressed by what you do and what you bring to the table. And that feels amazing. In middle school, you know, there's a little bit of the superhero factor, right? Like, if you're, uh, you know, you take a basketball and you make two shots in a row and they're like, oh, did you play college basketball? It's like, no, my five foot eight small white guy self is not getting called by uh, D1 college programs. Uh, I could barely jump two feet in the air. And, you know, no, I just I made two shots in a row. But it is starting to wear off in the in that middle school range. And you can talk to the kids a little bit with that logic and with that sort of young adults you know, looking toward the future, but not too much either. It's it's kind of a little bit of both. And so what I found to be really great is that, you know, at that age, you get to be this bridge between, you know, childhood and your teenage years, the, you know, the adolescence, if you will. And that's a really hard time. And to be a guide for someone going through that where, you know, you look back and you go, hey, I'm a little bit more mature than some of my friends. And then you look at the rest of your friends and you're like, oh, they are actually a little bit more mature than me. And you kind of feel lost or left in the middle, right? And that's a really hard time. And so to be that person who can be the bridge between those two very important phases of life is a really wonderful and important thing. On the other hand, middle school students be crazy. So uh, yeah, that's the other side of it. Now with high school, you know, <laughs> they are just not impressed by pretty much anything you do. Uh, you know, you make a couple shots with a basketball and they're like, can you make a third one? Uh, you pronounce something, you know, say, oh, the artist Pierre Mondrian. And they're like, mm, actually, I believe you uh, mispronounced it with the wrong accent. You know, like, OK. But on the other hand, you get to talk to those kids at a level that you don't get to talk to any other students. And you get to be the bridge between 
you know, that K through 12 public school education to the next phase of life, whether it be a university or the working world, uh, you get to, you know, you're the welcome wagon for adulthood, essentially. And so you get to really have really important, really impactful conversations that kids can start applying right away. And you can do that again a little bit in the middle school age, but uh, really that's like 90% of the relationships you have with high schoolers. It's just impacting them and seeing their growth every day as it relates to this pending adulthood that is coming. So, you know, again, it's kind of uncool. It's kind of uh, political, but really all grades are great. Uh, They all have their pluses. They all have their drawbacks. But um, as long as you can find the pluses, then you'll be happy teaching any grade. If you only see drawbacks, yeah, that's probably not for you, right? But if you can find the pluses, they're there. They are uh, they're very much there, and it is, um, you know, it's a great thing to, to have, to be able to hold on to and say, this is something that drives me and gets me out of bed every day, is these amazing qualities that these kids bring and offer to my room, to my life. And um, I'm rambling, so uh, let's just move on to the main topic, yeah? Okay, moving on. Our main topic today is actually something I wrote about on my old blog, teachmemrwest.com. And that topic is something I call burnout season. So with Thanksgiving approaching next week, I thought it would be a really good time to revisit this concept with, you know, a few timely updates. A colleague of mine recently brought me a big old cup of caffeine, tea. It's one of my great loves in life. Uh, There was no reason for the gift, just a showing of thanks kind of thing. This one gesture put me on a cloud for the rest of the day. I floated freely above all, not allowing any misbehaving kids, or misbehaving adults for that matter, to ground me. This simple act could not have come at a better time either. See, in education, there are a few frustrating weeks between Thanksgiving and winter break where teachers and students alike can begin to feel, well, weary of their classes. There are a lot of thoughts fluttering about any given school, both by teachers and students, like, first semester is almost over and I can't wait to start fresh with second semester. For non-educators, these weeks are a lot like when you eat an obscene amount of food on Thanksgiving. Hold on, (laughs) I'm going to loosen my belt just thinking about the three slices of pie a la mode I ate last year at Thanksgiving. You think, "Mm, I should probably cool it with the junk food. But then you remember that the winter holidays are just three weeks away. And then you remember all of the glorious junk food that comes with those festivities. And then you just think, fuck it, I'm just going to wait until after New Year's Day. But what's so dangerous about this way of thinking is that you start to give yourself permission to lower your expectations of yourself and others. I call these make or break weeks burnout season. And in case you were wondering, burnout season is a totally real educational phenomenon and not a made-up CBS drama about a thrill-seeking firefighter? Chester Langfield can put out any flame except the flame of desire he has for his sexy fire captain. Burnout season starts out pretty harmlessly, but quickly, and most importantly, subtly, devolves into something much more sinister. I'll lay it out to you in six easy steps. Let's see if you recognize any of these thoughts. 1. Man, this Thanksgiving break can't come soon enough. I wish it was two weeks long. 2. Ugh, 
Remember when I was able to sleep in and didn't have to deal with insert your most challenging student's name here's insane behavior? Hashtag take me back to Thanksgiving. Three, do these kids not realize how little time they have left to turn their grades around? Four, only two more weeks until winter break. Hashtag so close. Five, I am so over these kids. I really need winter break to get here already. And six, last few days, I'm just playing a movie. Hashtag good luck with those grades though. Hashtag girl bye. The thing about burnout season is that it unwittingly turns you into a negative person, waiting until the end of winter break to be positive again. Obvious statement alert, negativity adversely affects your ability to teach effectively. You don't start the year this way because, well, you're not a negative person. You might be grumpy in the morning, but you're certainly not negative. Remember how excited you got over your new teacher supplies or how eager you were to meet, insert your most challenging student's name here, before they revealed themselves as a black hole of academics and good behavior? You'd probably, and justifiably, judge any teacher who started the year off this way. Yet, in the days between Thanksgiving break and winter break, it's almost become a rite of passage for teachers to replace all of their beginning-of-the-year positive energy with just-get-me-to-the-winter-break negative energy. Is there a correlation with Thanksgiving and eating too much pie and having more negative thoughts than usual? No. Pie is a gift from heaven, and let us never think ill of it again. Honestly, I don't know why this happens. Maybe you do, and hey, now you have a reason to email me at podclasspod, that's podclasspod, at gmail.com. What I do know is that, regardless of why it happens, it's crucial for every teacher to avoid falling victim to burnout season. So how do you avoid succumbing to burnout season? Well, the answer is different for everyone. For me, I try to take a small moment to reflect on and identify at least one very good thing that happened in the last hour. Sometimes my good things are very good things. One good thing that happened was, insert my most challenging student's name here, finally showed some effort and did a great job on today's assignment. Sometimes my good things are just mm, nice things. One good thing that happened was, insert my most challenging student's name here, was insane, again, but the rest of the kids didn't let it distract them from their work. Yeah, sometimes I find myself reaching, desperately searching for the one good thing that happened during the last hour. We've all had classes where everything just falls apart, and you go home and you look at your menial retirement funds and wonder just how austerely you could live your life if you were to never go back to work again. But I'd rather spend a bunch of my energy looking for positivity than casually allowing negative feelings to wash over me. Frankly speaking, reflecting on the one positive moment after a very difficult class can make my job more palatable on difficult days, a spoonful of sugar and all that. And reflecting on the many positive moments after a good class can also help me from neurotically focusing on the few things that didn't go so well. Today's lesson went 99% perfectly. Of course, it could have gone 100% perfectly had my computer not frozen for that full minute during the most important part of the lesson. Ugh! Technology can be so frustrating, and now I need a cookie to calm me down. See, the truth is, while I have gotten better at remaining positive in the face of burnout season, I have hardly done anything to help out any of my colleagues. No teacher should be a happy island off the shores of a burning continent. Boy, that imagery is too real these days, huh? Sometimes, to truly avoid burnout season, you just need a friendly face reminding you about the positives in your day, 
Sometimes, you just need a friend to bring you a big old cup of caffeine, tea, or coffee. After all, what's a better way to put out a fire that threatens to burn you out than with liquid? That is our show. If you have any thoughts on today's episode, please feel free to hit me up on social media. I can be found at, at @teachmemrwest on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also email me your thoughts and questions to podclasspod, that's podclasspod at gmail.com. I'm off next week for Thanksgiving, so feel free to catch up on any shows you might have missed or, heck, tell all your friends and family about the show. Hey, did you check out this show called Podclass? It's pretty great. Pass the stuff in. Think of it as my Black Friday gift or Cyber Monday gift or Crazy Consumerism Thursday gift. I'm pretty sure those things are all real things. In any case, I'll be back with new episodes in December and not to toot my own horn or anything, but I've got some really excellent shows coming up, so stay tuned. That's all for this week. Have a great Thanksgiving, pod classmates. Eat a lot of good food. Try not to get into too many political arguments. And uh, if you, again, if you're living in Southern California, stay safe out there. Until December, pod class dismissed. <laughs> <laughs>